0: or next to the ocean. Imagine that it is a nine-sided building. Inside are two rows of five pillars each leading up to a large raised area on which are two pillars black and silver with a lavender veil stretched between them and behind the veil one centered pillar made of pure moonlight. The High Priestess resides in that central 13th pillar. In short, the symbolism should be of Trump II, of the tarot, as well as the four nines of the tarot, as well as of the ocean, the tides, moonlight, the colors of night, and the moon, moonstones, the metal silver, and so forth and so forth. That's a quote, direct quote from Yael, uh, who, as I say, is a very accomplished uh, ceremonial magician and knows what she's talking about. Here, we will declare the Antarctic astral autonomous zone and here we will hold our convention the time mark it on your calendar now the night of august 31st september 1st 1987 starting at 10 p.m pacific daylight time which is 11 p.m mountain time midnight central time and here in new york it's 1 a.m september 1st at the eastern standard time and 5 a.m. in London. It's uh, too bad about the English friends. It's going to be probably getting light by the time they uh, are ready to go, but anyway, it's the best we could arrange it. The convention begins officially on the hour and will last for an hour, but the pavilion will remain in place for the whole night for those with energy to party till dawn. How to get there. Astral travel is easy. Think of Doctor Strange. Think of Shirley MacLaine. Who was not invited by the way. Uh, Did you happen to see that Shirley McLean autobiography on TV, the one where she uh, goes down to South America and learns how to astrally project and this uh, long silver cord comes out of her belly button and her boyfriend tells her not to worry about poor people getting killed by uh, repressive regimes because that's just their karma baby. That's why Shirley is not invited. Anyway, as Yael says, the "The more people participating, the stronger and larger an astral gravity well will begin to form in the general area everyone's trying for. And after a few minutes with watches synchronized getting started, it will get easier and easier for everyone to find the place. Just sit and meditate on what that area of Antarctica probably looks like, keeping in mind the others who are supposed to be there too, and it will begin to come to you. Astral travel is something living beings have been doing for tens of millions of years, at least ever since rapid eye movement sleep was invented. In other words, dreaming. Maybe longer, back to the beginning of life on Earth. So the machinery is there in all of us for this sort of thing. It shouldn't be too hard. Most of it is imagination anyway. Imagination is a real door into the inner planes, and you don't have to go into any more of a trance to get into that state than you do for reading and enjoying a good book. The willing suspension of disbelief is what is required. Whether a full-on OOBE, or out-of-body experience, also occurs or not is really irrelevant, and it can occur when one is not aware of it. So don't be discouraged if you don't seem to be flying around the room in a disembodied state. Bilocation is good enough, and we all do that when we cogitate deeply on anything, or concentrate on places, people, and things which are not nearby. The occult how-to books make the whole thing sound far more difficult than it really is, so says Yael. Of course, the astral body is impervious to temperature, otherwise would all freeze, and with a bit of practice you can assume any imaginable form, from a simulacrum of your physical body to a ray of orgasmic light. Come prepared to entertain as well as be entertained. Make a speech, dance, performance. Bring astral intoxicants, musical instruments, pet sex demons. Astonish us. Important, and here's the, this is the key to the whole thing, important. As soon as you return from the convention back to your body, at once write an account of your experiences few lines you can send us a postcard or 20 pages or a whole novel if you want or excuse me not a novel but of course an accurate uh, accurate book length uh, description of what happened to you in antarctica and or draw pictures or prepare a graphic representation of your trip and what you saw send it to us in a ready to xerox format if possible and we will print all accounts in full in the book which we're going to call the Akashic Record of the Astral Convention. That's a joke for uh, for anthroposophists, if there are any out there. And all participants will receive a free copy, although a buck or two for postage would be appreciated. Non-participants will have to pay for this rare document, however. Now, this is, this is my whole point. What I want to do here is, uh, I mean, of course, we're going to go to the party, and we're going to see all the people who are there, and we're going to enjoy ourselves. But I'd like a little proof that you were there because, um, who knows, you might be in disguise anyway and I won't recognize you. So I want some documentation of this event. I want you to write to me, or to Yael, and uh, we'll put together the book. And if you do that, you'll get a free copy of the whole book. You'll get to know everybody who was there. You'll find out the uh, earthly addresses, the bodily habitations of everyone who was there. If you don't write, I mean, you can come. You're welcome to come to the party. But if you don't write, you're, you know, you sort of, you'll miss out, you'll miss your place in occult history here. So at least drop a postcard saying, I was there and um, telling us something. And remember, even though we've announced a time and place for the climax of the party, it is already going on, even now, and it has been, ever since we first proposed the idea. We need help from advanced magicians in preparing the site. So, if any of you out there are ceremonial magicians, concentrate your attention, practice visualization, focus in on the Antarctic Astral Autonomous Zone a few times between now and August 31st. Any questions or suggestions, write to the Association for Ontological Anarchy, care of Autonomedia, Box 568, Brooklyn, New York, 11211. I'll repeat that address in a minute. I'll just tell you, if you're, if you're really interested in doing this, the association for ontological anarchy is distributing a little uh, three uh, six-page pamphlet which will give you not only this text which i've just read also a map which shows you where the antarctic uh, astral autonomous zone is or is going to be and it also will give you several meditation icons that you will help you to get there including one of nan chi seng wang the old immortal of the South Pole who is the Taoist Santa Claus. Uh, he, he's the, uh, he is the old immortal of the South Pole and he looks like Santa Claus. He rides a reindeer uh, and he <laughs> bestows long life and happiness. And he's uh, accompanied by two little boys who carry the peaches of immortality and the ling-chi fungus. Hmm, I don't know what that is. It's some kind of mushroom. Uh, he is the patron of the Uh, Antarctic Astral Autonomous Zone. We've adopted him as our patron, and we expect him to protect all astral voyagers in the area who invoke his aid. So if you send away, we will send you free uh, a copy of this uh, little leaflet, or zine, if you want to call it a zine. And uh, this you can use as your vade mecum, or come with me, as as the uh, Romans used to call things like this. Your vade mecum, to Astral con as the science fiction people would call it, the Astral Convention. That address again, the AOA, Care of Autonomedia. That's actually not important, forget that. Just the AOA, Box 568, Brooklyn, New York, 11211. Box 568, Brooklyn, New York, 11211. I'm repeating that because I really would like some of you to show up. I think this is gonna be a great event. be remembered forever and ever and ever, or at least until next week. I see that it's uh, getting on for 2.15. This is WBAI in New York, and I think maybe, shall we take a little musical interlude here? Shall we hear some more of this uh, exquisite Santora music? Let's. Uh, Majid Ki- that was Majid Kiani playing uh, the entire of uh, Bayat Accord. Uh, I'll just read you a little blurb here so you know something about it. It's rarely played in Iran in spite of its great antiquity and its familiarity in the Arab world. Then it tells you what the scale is, but uh, I can't even uh, read these symbols. Too bad, James isn't here. Uh, it contains, let's see, the principal sequences here are Daramad Kereshmed and Chahar Mezrab. The long rhythmic piece which follows, there was a short break in there, you remember, and then the rhythmic section started, is called Shahre Ashub, which means a riot in the town, a classic of its kind. In principle, it is in the great Shur mode, of which chord is a part. It is composed of a continuous series of 20 small rhythmic pieces in 6-8, or sometimes 3-4 time, from which Majid Kiani has selected about a dozen in harmony with the spirit of the initial mode. His interpretation is particularly creative and brilliantly demonstrates the richness of this performance on the tour And this record, again, is uh, produced in France on a label called Okora, O-C-O-R-A. And um, well, I don't know how available this is in America, but... Um, um uh, this, this uh, copy came to me direct from, or indirectly, from Jean During himself, who was the, uh, well, it says here, conceived and realized by Jean During and I think he wrote the uh, liner notes as well. Maybe, I don't know, You know, it might be a record hunter, I don't know. They seem to have actually a pretty good selection of, uh, what am I thinking of, tower records. Is Record Hunter even still there? God, I don't know. Um, they seem a pretty good selection of uh oriental music the um The idea being behind these um, this kind of music is that it's in a traditional mode which is really almost like a mathematical formula uh just a an abstract row of notes which uh you stay within, and then there are the various um ways in which you can develop the theme through uh tunes you can take these notes and turn them into tunes and you can take these notes and I guess uh, improvise on them and um, Eastern music is not a, of course is not a, a purely improvisational music although there is improvisation involved because um, for example Keani would have taken these um, the melodic aspects of uh, almost all the melodic aspects of what he did would would be traditional. He would have received them from his teachers, his masters. And he might change them, you know, he would give them his own interpretation, he would uh, perhaps change the rhythmic, the uh, the speed or the feeling, especially the feeling, to suit his own uh, overall interpretation of a piece like this. But uh, each individual section of it is very likely to have been composed, not in a written sense, but in the sense that it's handed down these tune tunes are handed down from generation to generation. And the good thing about Kiani and the other musicians that During works with is that they are involved in recuperating the um, truly traditional Persian music, which isn't that old. I mean, as we know it now, it goes back to the 19th century, the mid-19th century. Before that, Persian music is pretty much of a mystery. We don't really know what it was. We can read descriptions in ancient texts, but as you may know, musicians in the East are usually considered to be kind of lowly people. It's a craft, really, especially in the Islamic world, where music has, a, well, shall we say, a dubious position at best in terms of the sharia, in terms of the divine law. I mean, some Muslims will tell you that music is totally forbidden. So um, you know, the hyper-Orthodox Muslims that I referred to last week will tell you that music is just simply forbidden, which is nonsense because even the Prophet himself listened to music and we have hadith we have traditions to that effect he especially uh, he especially enjoyed music at weddings and, and that is something that uh, even the hyper orthodox will still permit but the musicians themselves have a, have traditionally had a rather lowly position um in in india they were even outcasts to a certain extent uh denied uh, denied entry into any high caste or even if they were if they became musicians um were thrown out of their caste for having committed basically uh some sort of well i guess a sin and um even in the islamic world and in iran of course where the where the uh the, n- the great hyperborean Aryan tradition also has plenty of influence even under islam uh, as i said they still practice zoroastrian holidays like uh yalda or No ruse, the New Year celebration, all these are, are Zoroastrian or even pre-Zoroastrian holidays. And, at the, and in the same sense, they also preserve many pre-Islamic attitudes, social attitudes. And one of these attitudes is that musicians are really rather suspect. Um, the kind of musicians who play at weddings, interestingly enough, are often Jewish because uh, um, they're totally outside of, the, of, of Islamic society. And uh, you would hire them to come in and entertain you at the wedding because, of course, no good Muslim would do that. That's the theory, anyway. Now, um, despite that, all through all through the history of Islam, um, there's been a great classical uh, musical tradition very closely connected with Sufism, and especially this kind of music, this Persian uh, music. And um, in the mid-19th century, there were some... Uh, rift